1: A 5-0 away win, a 5-1 away win, an 8-0 home win, 8-0. It's not the Top 20 podcast, sponsored by Betfair. I'm Ali Maxwell, and with me to break down a brilliant EFL weekend, he may be immune to Twitter criticism, but he's certainly not immune to wintry illnesses. It's George Ellick. Ill again. So bored of it. So sick of it. If anyone's
0: got any tips on how to improve their immune system, I would love to have them because and not just like take vitamins. Like, you know, I want I want some conspiracy stuff, please. Like some stuff that is has no scientific proof whatsoever.
1: We've got a new podcast offering, George, uh, on NTT20.com.
0: Yeah, we do. Um, We are going to be doing Dear George and Ali. I think it's called Rather than Ali and George. I can't remember now. No, I think it's Dear Ali and George, but we might have to take that battle off air. Right, dear Ali and George, <laughs> where it's going to be part Q and A mailbag, part agony on. Where you know you get to send us your questions, whether football related or not. You can ask us whatever you want, basically, and we will be sitting down. We will not be choosing the questions in advance. So you'll be getting us kind of off the cuff, replying to whatever you want to ask <laughs> us, whether it's who should we sign in January. Or how do you improve an immune system? Well, don't ask me the second one because I clearly don't know the answer.
1: A podcast where the listeners set the agenda. We think it's gonna offer something new, fresh, fun, interesting. So uh, anything you hear on the Monday pod, for example, if you have any follow-ups, any questions, just get in touch with us. You will have to be a uh, paid subscriber of NTT20.com in order to submit questions. And we're recording the first one this week, so that'll be out later this week for NTT20.com paid subscribers. We're really, really uh, excited about this. Uh, The Christmas schedule is is fairly bonkers. Uh, In the EFL, there are four rounds of fixtures in 10 days uh, starting this Saturday, which is complete carnage. Uh, We are going to do our best to cover where possible while also enjoying uh, Christmas with our our family so a betting show on Thursday Uh, then the next Monday pod will be on Wednesday the 27th looking back at Boxing Day uh, and I guess this Saturday's games as well Uh, then we'll do the same on Tuesday the 2nd where we'll be able to look back at the festive period as a whole and do some sort of winners and losers I can't quite believe that the teams have to play four games in 10 days but It is, of course for our entertainment and we shouldn't forget that Uh, entertaining weekend in the championship in League One and League Two George let's start in the champ with two thumping wins at first Preston won Watford five bizarre game because Preston started really brightly scored a beautiful goal through Will Keane a really nice assist from Liam Miller Uh, Hamer in the Watford goal made seven saves in the first half an hour along with that goal conceded and then it was just an hour of pure party time for Watford. Five-one winners. Yeah, a
0: bizarre game. Uh, and one that, you know, for, for Preston fans after their disappointing run of form, um, it couldn't have really gone too much worse because one and up after 40 minutes, by far the better team. Preston fans at home at Deepdale are thinking, right, this is back to it. <clears throat> this is what we um, expect from our side and, you know, are pretty buoyant. I think it's quite rare to go to a game as a home fan and experience... Know, such a high within a game, I guess, where you're like you're confident that things are going well, to only then leave the stadium what an hour or so later, having been beaten by four clear goals and conceding five. Um, it was an absolute rout from from Watford in the second half, after Vacuum Beo had um, levelled things just before the just before half time. Uh, but as you say in the second half, I mean, I, I think the writing was kind of on the wall when Benkone put the ball through to Mart- Martin's for the uh, for Watford's second goal just after half time. Preston's defensive shape was was really really poor, and Martin's finished well. KMB then scored from range. Um, you know, it's one of those games where it felt like for Watford, things were just flying in whenever they they took aim. Uh, Bayo got his second. Then Ishmael Kone scored with a another long range strike. So for Watford, I mean, they, it's probably one of their worst defensive displays of the season when you look at actually how many chances they conceded and, and the quality of chance that that Preston created, especially in the first half. But it's definitely the, the kind of result where for Watford, now that puts them just behind uh, Preston in the table. I think they're now ninth with Preston in eighth. But given the way both sides are going, it's probably not long until those two teams switch places in terms of hierarchy. Um, and this is one for Watford where they're, they're showing again that they're definitely a side who are, who are going to be challenging for the whatever playoff places are, are up for grabs because they've got a lot of quality within their side we know with Watford there's a big churn of players so we're likely to see more come in in Jan and probably a couple more leave but um, but yeah it was a a big result and a message result for Preston things don't get any easier despite there being some green shoots for the first 40 minutes here
1: yeah, I feel like Ishmael has has really found something, really sort of settled on something good. I mean, Watford won only two of their first 11. They had less than a point per game after 11 games. Now so six wins in their next 11 for 21 points, at just under two points per game. So there's been a big turnaround. Now, of course, within that, there was a bit of uh, Variants and things of that nature. There was some games early in the season where you know we wondered what Ishmael had done to 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 have the curse of the XG gods because both at West Brom and then starting his career at Watford, you know they were massively underperforming in front of goal. But there seems a nice balance now that the the confidence and personality of the team has definitely come on over the last few weeks. Um, you know, when I talk about settling on something good, to be more specific, I think in midfield that's been a, a huge aspect of it. Um, having Jake Livermore screening, sitting, being experienced, providing that that leadership, if you like, while not being the most expansive on the ball. Actually, you know, early in the season they were playing Sir Alta, who's a centre back in defensive midfield. So that, there was going to be an upgrade in terms of what he can do, operating in that position, just as a, as a natural defensive midfielder. And then Kone and Kayembe have been absolutely unleashed, both of them over the last six weeks have been utterly sensational probably Watford's two best players um, he's managed to get a system where the strikers have chances created for them you know Bayo scored two here Rajevic has got seven I think they've got 12 between them so when you consider that they're going to be rotated in and out and there doesn't seem a very clear hierarchy there yet um, they're by no means the best strikers in the, in the league individually but Twelve goals between them, and you, you you almost have to think of them as one striker because the, Ishmael wants to play one up top at the moment. So that's actually a pretty good r- return uh, in goal as well. He's dropped Backman, who is club captain and the goalkeeper. He's been dropped for Hamer, which seems to have gone pretty well. It's a pretty big call, a, a popular call, I think, among the fan base. Uh, and look, I'm not sure that Hamer is a particularly great Championship goalkeeper, so I wouldn't be surprised if there's a, a spell where he concedes a few goals that he shouldn't do, but. Sometimes with goalkeepers, it works and sometimes it doesn't. And it's pretty hard to judge who's going to be in good form and bad form over long periods of time in nets. Uh, on the left side, Jamal Lewis, the left back and Ken Semmer working really well um, in providing width. Both of them can deliver a great cross as well. And on the right, that's where he allows himself a, a kind of a sprinkling of stardust, I'd say, with Yasser Spreer often starting off the right or Matthias Martins, uh, who did so here. So he's He's found a sort of good base, I'd say, and uh, it's working really well. They have got five of their next seven away from home, Watford. So, you know, naturally going to be hard to fly up the table maybe in the next month or two. But they're currently five points off the playoffs. I think if they get to February, which is the end of this run of five away games in seven... If that gap is even the same as it is now, it doesn't even need to be smaller. I think you've got to be pretty, pretty uh, happy because they have struggled to pick up points on the road this season. Uh, but a great day in that away end. Uh, Watford in good nick, as are Southampton. George, boy, are they in good nick. It's incredible points return, 32 points from their last 14 league games. Uh, this one, a 4-0 win at home to Blackburn. Um, probably one of their more comfortable wins in recent times and helped by two incredibly, well, There were two incredibly funny incidents in this game. One of them was Callum Britton's red card. Presumably not very funny for those of a Rovers uh, disposition, where having already been booked for uh, a tug back uh, a bit later on, still in the first half, Callum Britton uh, thumped the ball away after a free kick had been given and was dispatched, sent off, second yellow, red card, uh, at the end of a three-game week and travelling to a team that's always going to have a lot of the ball. Not ideal, I think, that. Uh, The other funny incident was Charlie Alcaraz, penenkering one over the bar from the penalty spot made up for it with a goal George and a a thumping thumping home win for Saints
0: and he apologised to the fans after the goal Now, surely you know when you're doing a penenka the risk is that if you don't get it right it's going to look a bit silly but I don't think there's any need to apologise unless he did a penenka by mistake which seems pretty unlikely Um, yeah I mean Southampton's home form is sensational if we go back to the four games they lost in a row, which had in a bit of turmoil. If you look at the home games since then, it all kicked off with a 3-1, an impressive 3-1 win at home to Leeds. Since then, they've beaten Birmingham 3-1, they've beaten West Brom 2-1, they've beaten Bristol City 1-0, Cardiff 2-0 and Blackburn 4-0. The only game they didn't win was a one-all draw against Rotherham where they absolutely battered Rotherham and Jordan Hugel scored a goal to equalise from about 30 yards to get a ridiculous point in a, you know, in a game where they were dominated. So I, I think for, for Saints, even though their away performances aren't quite as good as as, as, on, as those at home. You know, they, they have a repeatable superiority at St Mary's, which is going to make them a, a side who are going to continually pick up points because they're generally miles clear of their opposition when they do that. Um, as you say, this was made easier by the red card, but they were already ahead in the game um, and they completely dominated and, and controlled the game 11 against 10. I think, you know, if you're going to go down to 10 men, as you allude to, like, playing against Russell Martin side is probably not the team you want to play against because they will just shift the ball and move the ball around in deep areas very happy to do so patiently for a long long time and wait to pick the lock rather than panicking in any way um so yeah but, uh, and also good for them that when you look at the goal scorers you no know Adam Armstrong um you know there may have been a slight reliance on on him and his um finishing ability at times this season but this was goals throughout the side um so yeah a really good result performance a few concerns about, about Blackburn, possibly. You know, they, they had a really good run, um, but they've beaten 4-0 here and obviously been beaten by Sheffield Wednesday Leeds. It's just one win in the last four now, which came against Bristol City in a game where they weren't necessarily much better than the opposition either. Um, a couple of tough games to come. They host Watford on Saturday. Uh, they go to Hull um, after Christmas as well, uh, which is looking increasingly more difficult as with every game week, basically.
1: Uh, interesting to see Walker-Peters playing left-back and Bree playing right-back. Almost all season, Walker-Peters has been playing uh, in the right-back role and it's been Manning first at left-back and then Bree in the last couple of weeks. Uh, and and the left-back is very much an inverted role in this Saints team, whereas Walker-Peters is, is given free reign. Now, I kind of like this because I think that given Walker-Peters is maybe the best player in the division, certainly one of them, and certainly one of the best like ball carriers in tight spaces in the league, as he has shown all season, I think it kind of makes sense for him uh, to come in off the left-hand side and come have him coming inside the pitch onto his right foot rather than uh, off the right coming inside onto his left foot. I mean, he has already scored two left-footed bangers this season, so it'll be interesting to see if he can um, stick on the left for a while and, and maybe do the same with his right foot. But I thought that was an interesting tactical tweak here. Uh, three teams coming up for Saints before the end of the year, uh, all in 16th and below, so. Uh, good times could keep rolling how about the only team that won both games in the week George we expect that Leicester may do so when they play Birmingham on Monday night tonight Uh, but the only team that definitely has at time of recording Hull City beating Cardiff 3-0 and uh, having a pretty good time while doing it
0: yeah I mean I think first when you look at the game it was pretty dominant loads of good performances across the um, side for Hull especially going forward like the Twine 2-fan delap. Connolly front four is really starting to click now. Delighted to see Scott Twine score one of his trademark free kicks, getting his second goal of the season. It's been a... It's a I don't want to say underwhelming because you know there's still a long time to come and he obviously came off the back of a season where he played little football last season. But I, I kind of hope that we see a, a big second half of the season from Twine because there's no doubt in my mind that he's good enough to have real impact at championship level. Um, he hasn't been quite as... You know, the, the kind of goal threat that we saw previously, taking fewer shots, not getting to as many goal-scoring positions. When you look at his shot map over the season so far, few of those have been, you know, we know that he shoots from range and he's very good at it, but he also you know, sometimes would get on the end of, you know, score those those uh, opportunities that present themselves when he's playing as a 10 in the box, less of that playing off the left. Um, but I think he's he's in an environment and playing for a side where he should be able to step up now. And it was good to see him score that free kick. Um, Connolly is, is looking like an absolute menace up front. You know, again, having a really good season now in, in his first full campaign as a Hull, uh player. Um, even the lap off the right was very good here. Two fans scoring a very cheeky lob to make it 3-0. It was just a really solid performance. And, and they're the one side, I think, Hull, where when, when you look at, at what Rossini is doing, the way that they dominate the ball in most games, the way they use possession well—like it's never stale possession—they they, they are generally a constant threat, regardless of who they play. Whether it's a Cardiff side who are kind of, for the most part, happy to let them have the ball, or whether it's going to Middlesbrough and beating them two-one, um, where Middlesbrough kind of had over fifty percent possession, wanted to to restrict Hull. It's not the case where Hull only have one way that they can hurt you. It feels like even though they are a technical side and they're full of players who want to get the ball down and play. There's always an edge to it too. And I think, you know, of all the managers, the young managers whose stock is rising, I think Racinhas has to be the, the fastest. Where we've said for a long time, you know, his reputation is is very good. Part of that is is kind of good PR stuff around the work he done on, on TV before becoming a manager. But we needed to see it. We kept saying we needed to see it. And, and now I think we are seeing it consistently, where he has built a really effective, attractive football team. Where players, individuals, are performing to a high standard, there's a clear identity to what they want to do, and when they come up against teams like Cardiff now at home, there is a there's a clear favourite, and it's them. And more often than not, they put it they put that across in their performance. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of this Hull side as it stands. And you know, I spoke a second ago about Watford being a team who had hoped to be in contention for the for to pick up whatever playoff pieces are around. Hull absolutely will be that, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if they do finish in the top six.
1: Yeah, Rossini stock higher than ever and signing a new contract, uh, which is a, a huge move for the club. Three years he's signed on for. Uh, he appears to be absolutely all in, uh, which is going to be incredible news because, of course, someone like him will attract interest from elsewhere. Uh, and for Haal and Ajun Illizli to tie him down is, you know, it's kind of in keeping with the rest of the project, if you like, uh, which has been incredibly ambitious so far. Uh, Just a a quick one, that two-fan lob came after an incredible ball over the top from Tyler Morton. Now, Morton, uh, EFL Young Player of the Month for November on loan from Liverpool, was at Blackburn last season where he got a lot of important developmental minutes, I think was um, fairly good for the most part, but also had some, some Tricky spells. He has kicked on massively this season. He certainly looks the part now. Um, you know, playing alongside Jean-Michel Serri is always going to be quite good fun, I think, and he is making it look exactly that. He is absolute quality, and it's it's showing now more than ever. Morton uh, with the assist for two. fan. there are a couple. Well, there were probably three big games near the bottom. George, or in the bottom portion of the league. Sheffield Wednesday played QPR. Uh, Plymouth played Rotherham, and Millwall hosted. At Huddersfield. Do you want to talk about Sheffield Wednesday 2, QPR 1 or Plymouth 3, Rotherham 2 first? <laughs> I'll talk about the Sheffield Wednesday QPR game,
0: I think. Um, a really important game for both sides. You know, A, a few weeks ago, this would have been uh, a <clears throat> you know, a game that probably is a neutral you wouldn't want to watch if it had it been um, Cisco Munoz and Gareth Ainsworth in charge. But both royal And Sifuentes have um, overseen a turnaround in form for both sides. And it it kind of lived up to expectation in terms of the um, competitive nature of it. You know, it was a a fairly heated affair. The drama and QPR going ahead, thanks to a Bambo Diaby own goal, uh, nodding in a, I think it was probably a shot from Elias' chair, but seemingly going wide, uh, given Diaby diverted it in and it was an own goal. QPR ahead then for most of the game until very late on when uh Bailey Kadamatari. I mean, I feel like I couldn't say Danny's surname and, and now and I kind of I was happy that I'd never had to really think about it again I've never heard now,
1: anyone say it any other way than Kadamatari but okay that's what you go with to be fair for, I, I, he was just probably just before my time Danny other than knowing him from championship manager early championship manager games uh, but he was a proper wonder kid, wasn't he, when he first came through? And now it looks like Bailey might be as well. Another great finish from him. And let's hope
0: that Bailey, you know, goes on and does it in his career. Um, bit of unnecessary bashing of Danny there.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, a, a, a big... <laughs> <laughs> Refused to pronounce his name properly and slag yeah, exactly. off his career. Kadamateri.
0: Kadamateri. Um It was a, yeah, a very good finish from Bailey uh, with five minutes to go that looked like it was going to get... Sheffield Wednesday, a really valuable point. Um, but Anthony Masaba scored an injury time, a scrappy goal, and yeah, big scenes for for the home fans and Sheffield Wednesday to get a two one win. In truth, it was a game of, of few chances. You know, it wasn't of the best quality, I wouldn't necessarily say, uh, for either side. Um, but you know, it's still a, a, a massive three points for Wednesday as they look to chase down those above them. And you know, I think there's there's evidence within this game, even if the attacking player wasn't that good, certainly from a defensive standpoint, and just the, the levels of both sides have certainly gone up now. And I think the ch- the championship relegation picture is a really interesting one. You know, Rotherham, who we'll talk about in a second, have got Liam Richardson in, and he's got a, a mammoth task on his hand. I think he's probably thinking to himself, let's do what we can in order to get the squad in the best position possible to try and win League One next year. And if we manage to up the season, that a be, a be a big bonus. Um, But taking them out of it, I think it's really exciting because there are a lot of sides now, I think, in this conversation around who could go down to League One.
1: Plymouth did beat Rotherham 3-2. It was a late, 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 late winner from Morgan Whitaker. A bit of a helter-skelter game, really. Uh, Miller's 1-0 up uh, in the first half through Lindsay. Then Finnazzas scored a penalty. Then Finnazzas scored a second goal. Uh, Nice little cutback, which he swept home. Very Finnazzas finish. Uh, And then... Daniel Ayala is on a bit of a mad one at the moment. Um, It's only two weeks ago that we talked about him picking up a pretty boneheaded red card for two yellows uh, in a game. And he got sent off again for two yellows. And the second one was a sort of comedy handball where ball over the top, he can't quite reach it. And so he just punches it and he gets the second yellow and he gets sent off. And he gives Rotherham an even harder job than they already had. Um, amazingly, they did get back level through Tom Eves. It was his first uh, Miller's goal. And then heartbreak, because deep into injury time, do you know what? Probably my favourite as Well, there were some quite good assists this weekend. But Azaz's assist for Whittaker I think might be the, the most underrated because the presence of mind and deftness of touch that he had to show in order to just sort of lift a bouncing ball in a busy box over the defender's head into the path of, of Whitaker, who was running in behind, was sensational, and, and he did the rest. So uh, important week for Argyle with, with two games versus teams beneath them. They got that point, a battling point at QPR. I, th- I think if they'd stuck with 10, um, if Scar hadn't been sent off, I think Argyle could easily have won that game. They're certainly the better side in the first half an hour. Um And and no other team in the bottom eight picked up more than three points this week. Uh, Argyle getting four, so big winners of the week down at the bottom, probably alongside uh, Wednesday as well. Uh, What do you make of Rotherham turning to Liam Richardson, Uh, George? There's a lot of talk about him possibly being appointed with an eye on next season. But my kind of hot take is it's way too early for that. It's way too early to be making an appointment because you think they will be a good fit for League One. Like, it's absolutely insane to me that that would be your mindset. And I'm not saying that is their mindset, but it seems to be the mindset of a lot of uh, fans and other observers. I mean, I-, I can say pretty confidently if Richardson takes Rotherham down without much of a fight, there's not going to be much positive energy heading into next season, which is going to undermine his ability to be a good League One manager anyway.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know. I think that the the answer lies somewhere between where I think there's gonna be a, <clears throat> an element of realism that Rotherham are gonna be they're not gonna be expecting Liam Richardson to keep them up this season in order to to prove his worth. Like they're they gonna have to see tangible benefits of his management and um uh, you know that they're, they're going to want to him to oversee a period of of improved performances and results, but that isn't necessarily gonna lead itself to um you know, to, to them staying up. And I think the fact that he's already won League One probably did have quite a big part in his appointment there. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think they're saying the season is over, it's mid-December. Liam, you can just put your feet up until until May. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think I think there, there might be an element of that. Like, I, I don't think um, the fact they haven't gone after somebody who has a, a track, not that I think it's necessary, but you often see these you know, clubs going after someone who they think is someone who is best suited to, to save them from relegation. You know, a Warnock-style appointment, maybe. Um, I think it's an interesting appointment. You know, I, th- I think looking back, he was clearly incredibly harshly done by t- to lose his job at Wigan, having done such an incredible job. And he did do an incredible job at Wigan. Um, you know, he, he took over as, as interim or caretaker manager when John Sheridan uh, left Wigan. And they were in the mire, down at the bottom end of League One. And he managed to somehow, over the course of the second half of the season, keep them up. And then his first full campaign the year later turned up as champion. So that is like an, an incredible turnaround, albeit with some, you know, a, some um, investment in the playing squad. And then basically to lose his job, I think it was in November um, last season because of a poor start to the campaign and because of issues of playing style, just wasn't really fair. So I, I'm glad that he's getting another opportunity. I'm glad he's getting an opportunity with a with a a club who um have a a fair record, albeit Matt Taylor might disagree in terms of of giving managers chances. The one thing I am surprised about though is that when when you look back through the thoughts of Rotherham fans about why Taylor had to leave, the playing style was pretty consistently um, cited as a a big reason why that was the case. Fans saying, you know, we don't mind losing, but we we don't want to be bored losing. Like... You know, Liam Richardson, I think, will, will come in and I'm sure the football will, will probably be worse in terms of style, like pure style. It'll be pretty attritional, be very direct. And when you're Rotherham and you're, you've got the 24th budget in a, in a league of 24 teams, I think it's pretty hard to try and be competitive and, and not be boring, in inverted commas. So in that respect, I, I struggle a little bit with the transition. And I, do I think that Liam Richardson is a much better manager than Matt Taylor? Not necessarily. So, um, I, I think it might have been a bit unnecessary to make the change. I can understand why they've done it. You know, I think when you're a team who are confronting relegation, um, as we often say, there's only one thing you can really change. You can't change the whole squad. You can't change the manager and hope that that wins some fans over and, and can get a reaction. So we'll see what happens. But I, I'd, I'd be pretty amazed if they if they manage to to stay up or even make a making a fist of staying up. Like looking at the relegation odds as it is now, the Betfair Sportsbook has them 1-25 for relegation, which right. kind of tells you all
1: you need to know. Yeah, yes, it does. Um, Millwall and Huddersfield will have been quite nervous in the last few weeks looking at the improved form of QPR and, of course, of Sheffield Wednesday as well. Uh, they faced each other on Saturday at the Den and they drew 1-1. And, I mean, Huddersfield finding all kinds of ways of drawing football matches 1-1. Uh, in this instance, it was... Be broadly second best for the majority of the game, be 1 0 down, um, despite some amazing saves from uh, Tom Nichols, back in for Chris Maxwell, having lost his place to Maxwell not long ago. Uh, Norton Cuffey managing to bundle in after uh, Nichols had already made a great double save. Uh, and then just somehow getting a point consistently. It's it's 4 1 or draws in their last six. This time it was a, a sort of volley from outside the box which hit Savile on the hand, like just next to his sort of neck, basically. Uh, it was kind of a bizarre one. Pretty good spot, to be honest, from the ref. And uh, and a penalty scored by Bergzog. So Huddersfield draw 1-1 one, one. for Millwall. Just real frustration that they're not able to um, pick up any real level of points at the moment to pull themselves away from relegation battle, if anything, looking like they're getting closer to it. And Huddersfield, I'd say like on paper, quite a lot of, good results recently but i i don't really think the way that they're going about it and the way that they're playing suggests to me that they're going to be able to maintain that over a long period of time they're another club that will will likely try and make some moves in the transfer market but it's, it's really difficult it's really difficult to buy starting quality championship players who who are ready and fit to um, and ready to slot in and adapt and 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 move into new systems as well. It's it's difficult, um, but that was a, a big point for them. Um, George, uh, Bristol City beat Sunderland 1-0. Uh, it had been a, a good week or so for Sunderland after parting company with Tony Mowbray with two wins under Mike Dodds, but this one went the other way. A 1-0 win for, for Bristol City. Uh, I mean, I th- kind of think they were always going to have a win like this at some point. Uh, under Liam Manning, they've had a lot of Similar games, I would say, that are sort of broadly fairly close. Uh, good spells for Bristol City, less good spells for Bristol City. They've been on the wrong end of quite a lot of them uh, here. They were very much on the right end of it. Uh, the energy of Jason Knight and Taylor Gardner-Hickman winning a penalty uh, after an error by Patterson, scored by Tommy Conway. And then quite a lot of, of pressure from Sunderland, but almost all their chances coming from set-piece situations. And Bristol City defending pretty well in, in terms of their general shape. And... Um, and Sunderland not able to get the winning goal, the equaliser rather, some remarkable saves by O'Leary. And I must admit, Sunderland have been denied by some pretty incredible saves over the last few games. Uh, the big news is that it's expected that Michael McBeal will be appointed uh, the Sunderland manager to replace Tony Mowbray. Fete, to this one's got tongues wagging, George. What, what do you make of this appointment, which we expect to be confirmed imminently?
0: Yeah, it, it's an interesting appointment, uh, a very surprising one. I know Sunderland fans are not happy about it. I think we should say that to to start off. I also think it's worth pointing out that Sunderland fans weren't particularly happy when Tony Mowbray was appointed, and they were absolutely not happy when Alex Neil was appointed. And those are two managers that had some degree of success. You know, Neil was obviously popular after um, delivering promotion, albeit not popular for long. Given when he left for Stoke, he was seen as being a bit of a traitor, understandably. And Mowbray, who I think, left with a lot of Sunderland fans pretty upset that he was being shown the door. So, you know, there's some, and it's not just Sunderland fans, I, I think often, um, you know, the initial reaction of a fan base around a manager's uh, appointment, I mean, it has absolutely nothing to do with whether or not they're going to be successful, frankly. Like, I think if you look at a lot of appointments over the last, well, since we've been doing the pod, some of the best ones would have been met with... um a shrug of the shoulders or, or worse. And some of the best ones, some of the worst ones, sorry, would have been, you know, you'd have had fans telling you it was one of the best appointments they'd ever made. Like, it's, it's irrelevant. In terms of Beale himself, you know, he is a, a fascinating case study into how quickly a managerial stock can rise and fall. Because um, there was a point in October last year when he had QPR top of the championship. He was linked very strongly with the Aston Villa job. You know, Aston Villa a year on, Our Premier League title contenders. Um, He was linked very strongly to Wolves' job. So he had two Premier League jobs he was linked to. Um, Clearly, very nearly took the Wolves' job. He was seemingly offered it. Um, You know, so he was... Then, at that point, he was clearly perceived to be one of the brightest young managers in the English game. Now, he then moved to Rangers and it was a bit of a disaster at Rangers where I think a lot of... quite a few recruitment issues were, were pointed at him in terms of the the fault in the summer. Um, and it doesn't help him that since his um, he's left Rangers, his replacement has done a really good job there and has taken a group of players and seemingly kind of got them back to where they were previously. I'm very surprised that he's the person they've gone for. Like I, I absolutely believed that, you know, when you look to the, the names, Will Still, Julien, Sablé, uh, Kim Helberg, you know, these were the kind of continental appointments that it felt like, um, were aligned with Christian Speakman, the sporting director, and and you know the recruitment strategy of players. But in Beale, you have a a, a coach who, you know, clearly was very highly thought of in the Liverpool um, academy system. Did very well with individuals at QPR, young players in terms of getting them performing at a high level, and. At Sunderland, you've got a a group of young players there who basically need someone to uh, encourage them to play with a a certain degree of freedom, the track record of of developing young talent. So in that sense, I kind of understand it. And I do think we can be too reactive here and just buy too much into what was a a poor job at Rangers and completely ignore um, the good work that he did do at QPR over... Not long, but a couple of months. I, I think um, I broadly agree
1: th- with you. I, I guess the the thing that's hard to get away from, and it's not even really a Mick Beale thing, it's more like, aren't a lot of those things also things that Tony Mowbray has proven yeah. that he's he's done probably over a long, well, definitely over a longer period of time and with Sunderland where you can't, there are at least half a dozen Sunderland players who have come on massively uh, over the last year or two under Tony Mowbray. He might not be someone with an elite background as like a technical coach but he he is someone with a great track record of improving young championship players and he was picking up good results at the same time so it doesn't help the theory that they were just waiting for like what was even quite a short spell of poor results or less good results to to finally sort of um get rid of a a guy that again, this is just perception, I'm not saying this is definitely the case, but this is the perception uh, of a guy that they didn't really want ultimately, but somehow it it doesn't feel like, with this appointment, they've done it because they lined up an absolute sure thing who they were obsessed with getting, like, for example, Farioli, who they were linked with over the summer, and instead they've got a a currently available coach who's, you know, had a bit, taken a bit of a hit recently, and um, yeah, it's very interesting it's it's also interesting to me when clubs do stuff that goes down so badly with the fans on this level yeah it's a tricky balance to to reach right i would hope that if i was ever involved with a club i would be in tune with fan sentiment and be able to guess or broadly kind of uh, understand what fans are going to think about certain decisions while also not letting that impact making those decisions if it is believed to be the right thing. So, uh, obviously, in football, it, it it can be made much more difficult for you if a fan base, whether it's one of the size of Sunderland's or not, have decided they're very unhappy. Then that that does just make things harder for you by default. So it's uh it is very very interesting. But just just, but just quickly, I mean, so just two things on that. I, I agree, but then I I also think
0: that it 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 disappears so quickly. The whole, you know, if it takes a resounding win at the stadium of light, and it's basically forgotten that he was ever not playing for them. Like I, I think it's so easy. No, I don't easy know. To... I think
1: it comes back. I think uh, you know someone like Michael Appleton at Blackpool springs to mind last season. He started pretty well, and there was quite good noises after a month. Like, oh yeah, I think I might have been wrong about this one. And then actually, all it takes is a bad run, and then it's like, no, 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 it was a bad fit. We we didn't we didn't want him.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that I feel like that was especially toxic because he'd worked there previously. Like this one is just like a lot of Sunderland fans looking again at Beal's career, like looking at his Wikipedia page, like thinking about their preconceptions of him as a manager and as, as a person, as a neutral, and deciding he's not right for the job. It's not like I don't want him because of this or that or like any aspect of their of their previous history or whatever. It's just like he's not in their view; he's not the right person for them. On the Mowbray point, um, I definitely agree where for me sitting here and, you know, and looking at my own preconceived ideas and perceptions of these people that I don't know, I don't see what Beale brings to the table that, that Mowbray doesn't. But the fact is, we don't know why Mowbray was let go, right? We, we don't know the relationships behind the scenes. We don't know the ins and outs. We don't know if Mowbray decided that he was sick of not having any sand transfers. We don't know if there was a cultural issue. We have no idea why the decision was made to let Tony Mowbray go. So in that sense, trying to pick apart the validity of that swap is kind of irrelevant because we don't know what the basis of it.
1: And, and picking apart Beal's time at QPR is also quite difficult because he famously had them top of the league at the start of October. They were less famously unless you're a listener of this podcast massively overperforming their underlying numbers and then uh, sort of felt the full force of bad underlying numbers uh, with a, a real drop in performance particularly once speculation started swirling about Beale's move to Wolves so you know it's kind of hard to sift through like do you mark him down for the fact that they were top of the table with broadly mid-table numbers no even mid-table numbers with that QPR team is was a, a pretty decent job and although they weren't scoring Tons of goals, creating chances for fun. They did play some really good stuff. I went back and watched every goal they scored under him, and it's the sort of football which transposed onto Sunderland's current squad makes me seriously excited. If he can get that sort of fluidity, if he can empower the players to to try things and and you know be kind of fluid in their movement and to take players on and to to bounce one twos off each other, you know QPR got a lot out of Willock and Chair over that period, and Paul to an extent as well, and Dykes had a good run in front of goal. But they weren't a squad that was that suited to it as a whole because their squad is such a bizarre mishmash of players and and profiles, whereas Sunderland's is much more specifically sort of technical and skillful. So I'm pretty excited to see some of the football that they'll play, put it that way. But uh, yeah, interesting discussion and very much a hot topic at the moment. Mick Beal, we expect to be appointed by Sunderland uh, ASAP Swansea lost 2-1 at home to Middlesbrough uh, this one fun because the winning goal was an indirect free kick inside the box which is uh, always gold dust, I actually had uh, one of those in my in my Sunday league for my Sunday league team a couple of weeks ago and there's just something beautiful about an indirect free kick inside the box um, Swansea just left a little gap at the near post which Sammy Silvera found uh, for a <laughs> 2-1 win and Two nice assists uh, for the first two goals. Greenwood was set up nicely with a little reverse by Matt Crooks with a good finish, uh, Greenwood, and then Tymon with a brilliant cross. That's the sort of delivery that I kind of expect from Tymon that that I thought Swansea would get a bit more from, and it hasn't quite happened yet, but I still think he's got that in his locker. Uh, But Silvera winning it for Borough, which is big for them because they'd thrown away a 1-0 lead to lose 2-1 against Hull in midweek. I think they were all pretty disappointed in the manner in which they they uh, threw that one away. George, we also had Ipswich 2-Norwich two, 2 in the Old Farm on Saturday lunchtime. A draw, so we won't go into it for ages, but quite entertaining. Yeah, it really was.
0: It was a game which I thought Ipswich dominated, certainly in the first half. And it felt like a matter of time until they went ahead, which they did through a um, Nathan Broadhead goal. Um, only for John Rhodes, got the other end and score a, a very unorthodox game. Um, Goal, um, but a really well taken one as he was off balance. Uh, and John Rowe was, I think, the the headline grabber of this party piece, where you know he tweeted um, before the game, which is a brave thing to do when you're a Norwich player and you're going to Portman Road. And Ipswich were overwhelming favourites for the game, but Rowe backed it up with not just one but two goals, scoring a, a deflected effort that squirmed through Hadke early in the second half. Wes Burns, who just strikes a football so purely, um, scored a, a really nice uh, goal to make it two all. And from then, with half an hour to go, watching it, I was thinking, right, this is going to be, this could get ugly here for for Norwich. But none of it. Um, not only did they see the game out, um, but they saw the game out with relative ease, I would say. Like Ipswich looked way more threatening in the first half an hour than they did for the last half an hour, where they had a lot of possession but couldn't really create much of a uh, a, a kind of proper chance, and, and Norwich defended really well. So the wait goes on for Ipswich to to beat their rivals down the road. I'm sure they have another very good chance in a couple of in, in a few weeks' time at Carrow Road. Um, but for Norwich, I think they can take heart from that display, albeit maybe in the, in the same way that Sunday afternoon's Premier League game um, showed, getting a point against your rivals down the road, but doing so in a certain way may in itself show uh, how much the tide has turned because. It was Norwich who were very much dropping deep and, and clinging on to a
1: point rather than taking the game through opposition. And Coventry City got a point at Ellen Road. Uh, Leeds went ahead, Rutter and Somerville doing Rutter and Somerville things. Um, that is now five goals that Ruter has set up for Somerville this season, which is two more than any other uh, combination. He is so creative from that number nine role. It's ridiculous. Um, still doesn't look particularly likely to score many himself, but that's fine. If he if he was scoring a lot, I mean, he'd be one of the best strikers in England. So let's not expect too much from a championship striker at this stage. Uh, and then we had uh, another thing that I like, almost as much as an indirect free kick inside the box goal, uh, open play centre-back goal. Uh, this one, Bobby Thomas, who carried it forward, laid it off and then just kept on rumbling forward uh, and then got on the end of a, a great cross to head home and equaliser for Coventry. So uh, their good performances continue. Leeds, uh, bad week for them, having lost uh, in midweek as well. And then West Brom and Stoke drew 1-1 as well on Sunday. If, if I like open play centre-back goals and indirect free kick inside the box goals, I hate in equal measure... When someone shanks across and it flies into the top corner. <laughs> I mean, there can't be many sports that, that has a potential reward for getting something that wrong. Um, and that's what Lyndon Gooch did. And that was Stoke's one shot on target. And it wasn't a shot. And it put them 1-0 up. And West Brom equalised through a beautiful Brandon Thomas Asante volley, uh, but could only get one. Uh, and bit of pressure in the second half didn't tell. So one all draw there for West Brom and Stoke. Quite a lot of reports this morning that Steven Schumacher is Stoke's preferred option as their manager. I'm sure Plymouth Argyle will have plenty to say about that. But We will keep an eye on on that development and we'll have a good old chat about that if Schumacher leaves Plymouth for Stoke City. In League One, George, oh boy, was it a good afternoon for those Pompey fans in Shropshire. Not only a 3-0 win away at Shrewsbury, backing up a famous 2-0 win under the lights at Fratton Park against second-place Bolton on Monday night, but also... Colby Bishop returning safely from injury with other players having stepped up really nicely in his absence. Abu Kamara here at the double. Uh, On Monday, it was Cassini Yengi who played so well and gave Santos such a a tough time. This Pompey team are in some nick, mate. Four games, four wins, ten goals with none conceded and eight different goal scorers. That's since their 4-0 defeat to Blackpool.
0: Yeah, in flying form at the moment, uh, Pompey. And this was... An opportunity for them, you know, they went to, to Shrewsbury aside who um, have picked up some decent results at home this season, but, you know, for me, for the most part, have one of the biggest gaps between their points tally, um, their actual points tally in there uh, and probably what they've deserved this season. Um, deserve might be the wrong word, but, uh, you know, it's it's. if you look at their performance... I think over, you should course- say this
1: with confidence, mate, because Shrewsbury have lost... 11 of their 22 games to nil. Every other match they've lost <laughs> without scoring. And they're 13th. Yeah, it's it's wild because they win
0: a lot of games 1-0 as well. Um, but I, I do, you know, I think th- that 13th place where they are at the moment, um, you know, I think we'll see them slide. As the season goes on, but whether or not that's going to result in anything, you know, they've probably got enough points on the board now that it won't matter. But you know, this was all about Pompey, who put in a, a really impressive display. Um, Abu Kamara was the start; he scored the the first goal, and he scored a brilliant finish for the for the third as well. With Marlon Pack scoring a tap in, um, the fact that those the the um, to the the Pat goal and the and the second Kamara goal in front of the Pompey fans, the jubilant scenes behind the goal. It just feels like John massinho has got something really special going on at Pompey at the moment. Um, I think that Bolton result is so important, just in terms of keeping those chasing at arm's length. I think there's a six point gap to Posh in second, um, and the performance performance is really good. And in a weird way, I think Bishop's injury is as damaging as it looked like it was going to be when he first was out. Meant that Yengi came in and showed what he's about. And now, given the system they've got, they've got two quality front men who can both play that loan striker role really effectively. So, a really good bit of squad building uh, in the summer. And just a side who are a slick, well oiled, pressing, winning machine, uh, Pompey. So, um, it's looking pretty ominous now. I, I do think there's at least one side in Posh who are operating at such a high level that. You know, this isn't, um, you know, there are teams we're going to want to chase down Pompey, but where a few weeks ago it felt like they were running a bit hot, I'm now starting to think that maybe they're the real deal.
1: Mm, me too. How about Bolton? Ooh. Lose the big one on Monday night, George. Get back home for a game against Bristol Rovers and put it to bed, put it behind you. They didn't. They did not do that. Losing 2-1 to Bristol Rovers, uh, their first league win under Matt Taylor, uh, made it a good week for them, having won against Crew in the Cup as well in midweek. Just a sloppy Bolton performance. It, it looked like a real kind of after the lord mayor's show a bit of a hangover from monday night where they they played pretty well in the first half an hour against portsmouth and then got somewhat blown away well here they kept giving the ball away and bristol rovers were looking sharp with it so a brilliant cross another one of my favorite assists of the week from grant ward a perfect perfect cross for marquist to score and then aaron collins showed that even though he's only got 3 goals this season he's still provides a ton of value just because of his physical attributes his pace he's such a nuisance and he he uh, let, his bit of play led to Santos's red card in the first half and uh, he robbed Daker's Cogley to set up Evans for their second goal as well so um, you say robbed Daker's Cogley I, I don't think Daker's Cogley knew what was going on it was so weird can you not be robbed if you don't know what's going on mate <laughs> <laughs> the only time I've ever been robbed slash mugged i'm not sure what the right word for it would be was walking down victoria street in london on my 21st birthday and i um i had my headphones in they were wired because it was 2013 and i was holding my phone in front of my face changing the song on spotify i was having a pretty good day and someone just cycled past and just snatched it and cycled off and by the time i realized what had happened i had nowhere no idea where they were so i suppose in a way i was robbed without having any idea what had happened but
0: there you go you and J. Me and Dacus. DC. Yeah.
1: Um, when I was mugged,
0: I was listening. I also had my headphones in. I remember I was listening to "Don't Go Back to Dawston by Razorlight, <laughs> and uh, some guy came over to me. And I thought he was asking for the time or something. And I was like, "So what was that?" And I took out my earphone. He goes, "Give me your phone and wallet." And I was like, "Ah, oh, no!" And then he just put his hands in my pocket. And <laughs> Don't go up the junction. What I was going to say something that. What are we talking about? Oh, yeah, this is a weird stat for you. Yes, love it. Since Bolton beat Exeter 7-0, they've had three league games, right? They've taken one point from those three games. They played uh, Oxford 0-0, Pompey lost 2-0, and then Bristol Rovers uh, lost 2-1. They didn't have a shot in the first half in two of those games. Wow. How weird is that? That's a good stat. So against Oxford, they didn't have a shot in the first half. And against... Chris Rovers, didn't have a shot in the first half.
1: Against Portsmouth, they had an open goal in the first half, which Dion yeah. Charles missed. So maybe it's, but that, maybe it's for the best. That's a
0: whole 90 minutes of football there in a, in a three-game patch where they're one of the best teams in the whole league, where they failed to have a shot on goal. I have a shot, full stop.
1: Yeah, what's happened there? Uh, any thoughts, Bolton uh-huh. fans? Let us know. <laughs> Peterborough have taken your spot. They are second in League One. They beat Fleetwood 1-0. They are in absurd form right now and they certainly were having a lot of shots in the first half. Uh, They had something like 10 before Fleetwood had their first on 18 uh, and it was actually Posh's last shot of the first half that saw them take the lead. Archie Collins with a, a fun little sort of away swinger um, sort of shot with his laces from just outside the box. I think Lynch, the goalkeeper, a little unsighted, and by the time he realised what was happening, uh, the ball had swerved away from him uh, into the far corner. Really sweet strike from uh, Collins, and uh, and a good win for Peterborough. I mean, they they probably should have been further ahead. And then inevitably, there was a little flurry from from Fleetwood just in the last ten minutes or so. Um, Asamoah had a chance. Now he's the son of uh, Derek Asamoah, which I thought was quite fun. The last team that he played for was uh, the New Salamis, uh, which is quite fun. The New Salamis uh, play in the Isthmian League, North... But do you not remember? I, I walked past the New Salamis, like... It's in Haringey.
0: Yeah, which I sent, I sent you a photo in the summer.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, because you know I love salami. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. in Bowes Park is where the, the club's yeah. from initially. Anyway, Derek Asamoah, who, of course, played a lot for Northampton uh, and a couple of other EFL clubs, he... Played a couple of years for New Salamis in in his early 40s and scored quite a lot of goals. Uh, his son also played for the New Salamis and now plays for Fleetwood Town, which is a bit of fun. Uh, and Peterborough just in ridiculous nick. I, I wrote in the weekend notes. It, it's it seems to me that teams have are just terrified of them right now. And, and the the way that I think you can tell is that some teams try and push up and and press them and don't let them build up from from deep where in particular Ronnie Edwards is is got such good passing range is so confident on the ball but that's a bit of a disaster because they've got such quick direct wingers that you can be so easily done in behind by Mason Clark by uh, Jones by Poku and then if you don't press them well they just they just walk the ball into your defensive third and then from there well again they've got so many good options that uh, so much 1v1 quality as well that that it's so hard to stop them so I think you're kind of damned if you do damned if you don't against posh at the moment but most importantly they look pretty solid defensively which is uh, probably the thing that I didn't necessarily see coming this season Uh, what about Oxford George 3-0 win against Burton um, playing some good football scoring some lovely goals
0: yeah I mean I think it would be um, biased of me not to say from the outset that that Burton were worryingly poor here like I haven't seen a side come to Oxford and, and roll over quite as e- quite as easily as they did with one notable exception and that was Max Crocombe their keeper who put in a really good display a former Oxford player who um, kept the scoreline down um, but this was impressive from Oxford to be fair I mean, it hasn't been a great start for the new manager um, Des Buckingham so far especially in the league but Oxford were good um, moved the ball really well a very noticeable um, tweak in terms of playing style where both uh, Stan Mills and Josh Murphy, the two wingers, played very wide and just cons- like constant diagonals. Brannigan which, was um, absolutely zinging it around. Unbelievable. Like like it was, it was Brannigan in midfield was kept doing these like cross switch pings to, to Mills. Bennett, the left back making his full debut, was doing it as well. Like obviously the, the idea is retain the ball, switch, retain the ball, switch, which I'm kind of there for, especially when you're playing against a side who are defending fairly deep. Ruben Rodriguez came back from injury and put in a brilliant display with two really nicely taken left-footed strikes. I think he is also a player who benefits massively when he's got two wingers and a striker who all have a, a bit of pace about them because his creativity and unlocking defences with with his vision of passing accuracy is really important. Um, not always just the ball over the top, but he's often the one playing those uh, spread balls wide to, to, the, to the wide players. Murphy, again, looked really, really sharp. Missed a very easy chance with a header early on. Um, Yeah, it was a good display. I mean, Mark Harris, yet again, missing chances. Like I feel like the poor bloke must be wondering what he's got to do to get a goal at the moment. Um, But it was a a resounding, comfortable 3-0 win. Um, Signed off with a a brilliant strike from Marcus McGuane with his first league goal for Oxford. Having been there for three and a half (laughs) years. Wasn't allowed to shoot under former managers. Now encouraged to do so and scored an absolute howitzer.
1: He had four shots in the first twelve league games of the season and then he's had eleven in nine since. I don't know. Is he is he drunk or something? What's going on there? Mm, change of manager, I think. Change of Man. manager. Yeah, I mean when you watch Branigan, McGwane and Rodriguez playing like that, you I mean, you really should be a good team. There's no there's no excuse to not be a good team. And I noticed that Buckingham's Post match, Well, first, he said something quite sweet when he was asked if he was really relieved to have got his first win as Oxford manager. Obviously, a boyhood Oxford fan, he said, well, I'm just pleased and relieved for my dad and my family because they come to all <laughs> the games. It's just nice for them.
0: God, I imagine that stress of being a manager, but also the first thing you think of when you win a game is, oh, I'm relieved for my dad yeah. that we won.
1: But he also referenced basically being better going forward quite a lot in a sort of nod to Liam Manning's overperformance in that regard, I think. Um Elsewhere in the top six, Stevenage and Derby both drew 1-1 in in frustrating circumstances. So Stevenage were 1-0 up against Exeter and Exeter were down to 10 in the first half after Jack Aitchison picked up a a silly red card Um, but Yannick Wilczuk came on at half time and Yannick Wilczuk scored immediately after half time and Exeter managed to see it out for a 1-0 draw which I think is massive for them just to be able to show that sort of character and resilience a game that they were expected to lose even at 11 v 11 and then certainly when they were down to 10 frustrating for Stevenage and for Derby who who, in quite a dull game against Wickham Uh, Went one up with about 10 minutes to go. Good work from Mendes Lang. Barkays and tapping in. Uh, And then Wickham nicked a late, late penalty. Uh, Sent up a a long kick from the keeper. Flick on from low. And Wheeler got the wrong side of of Ward. Or rather, Ward got the wrong side of Wheeler and tripped him. And the the penalty scored by Leahy. So points dropped, you'd have to say, for Stevenage and Derby. It's why it was such a good weekend for for Portsmouth, but also for Oxford, United and Peterborough. Uh, And Barnsley and Charlton, they also... Drew 1-1, just outside the top six, those two. Great stat from Ryan Dini, who wrote the weekend notes in League One this week. Neither Barnsley or Charlton have beaten a team in the top 11 positions in League One this season in 17 attempts between them, which is a pretty good demonstration of why they are outside the top six looking in. And they couldn't beat each other either. Big wins in the bottom half. How about Port Vale 3, Wigan 2 with an Ethan Chislett hat-trick. Uh, this is, well, very necessary because Port Vale... Don't have any strikers that can score a goal, and quite regularly don't play any strikers because they don't have any strikers that can score a goal. And in the main this season, they've needed a goal from Ben Garrity, uh, but you can't rely on that forever. So, so are you are you just done with Uche? Are
0: you just you discarding him onto the part having all your stuff you said about him in the past and how you, much you love him and stuff? He's been there for a few months, yeah, and you're already just chucking him on the Scrappy.
1: No, I think he's just taking a bit of time to get up to speed, mate, because he was signed uh, late as a free agent. But also, I love Vuce Piazza. I don't think he's very good at scoring goals, but I like <laughs> a lot of other things about him. Um, thankfully, Chislett was on good nick here. Nice assist from our Blaster, who's the young Sheffield United loney, very popular, England on her 20s. Got a really nice assist for one of Chislett's goals. They're tuning up against Wigan, who then came roaring back. Um, and then Vale nicked it with a deflected chisel strike at the end. So a bit of an up-and-down game. Back-to-back league wins for Vale, which really calms things down. They're nine points clear of the relegation zone, and I think a lot of their fans had given up on on Andy Crosby and on the team and wanted to see him uh, get sacked, but I, I like that they stuck with him. I think it was the right thing to do. I think there's a an extent to which understanding your situation, understanding the level of your squad and what your manager has to work with, is quite valuable. And there's basically eight or nine good teams in League One and quite a lot of not so good ones. And I think actually holding your nerve and projecting a kind of strong together spirit is probably, you probably get more value out of that than chopping and changing your manager and and hoping that you hit gold. Having said that, George, tell me about Cambridge 2, Blackpool 1 because there's been some start for Neil Harris. Yeah, it has been. They were impressive again um,
0: having... Come back and scored twice late at Charlton in a really impressive display. and then faced up against the Blackpool side who we know have been in good form again, like they did against Charlton. They went behind with a Jordan Rhodes header. Um, but Alaska Shunga scored shortly afterwards, and again Gassada Habnay scored a penalty just before half time to make it 2-1. And they saw the game out pretty well. Um, they created a couple more good opportunities. Digby was sent off. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I thought um they did it well, and I think Harris has come in. I wasn't convinced, and I'm still, you know, I wouldn't say I'm now convinced, but I wasn't convinced when he was appointed that he was necessarily going to oversee an immediate upturn in, in fortunes, but he certainly has done that. They're, they've looked far more solid defensively. They've been a real threat going forwards. I think they've, uh, their XG for over the two games is over four, which is impressive. I think certainly you would expect Harris to really like a Hadme and what he offers as a physical um Nuisance up front as well as his goal scoring ability too. So, yeah, really good start for Cambridge um, under under um, Harris. Things are looking up.
1: Seemed like a, a good vibe at the Abbey for that one, and Cambridge back in business. Now, what did Cheltenham do to deserve what happened to them on Saturday? Because they hosted Leighton Orient. It felt like the momentum was was pointing towards Cheltenham after recent performances and results uh, of both teams. There was. An early red for Williams. I thought this. I thought the second yellow was a little bit harsh. It wasn't quite the cynical, like pullback that that gets a second yellow normally. It was kind of just a little, just a little push, little just sort of ease him off the ball. Anyway, I I might be speaking speaking with my betting show hat on here. Um, but even at ten v eleven, Cheltenham battled hard and took the lead. Uh, where Prattley dived in when he shouldn't have, and, and Goodwin scored his fourth goal in four games. Twenty one year old striker. Uh, on a hot streak it's always going to catch the eye they stayed ahead for half an hour with 10 men and then in the last 10 minutes two rancid deflections rancid deflections one from Shaq Ford and one from Ethan Galbraith and Leighton Orient have left with all three points and Cheltenham with nothing and I mean delighted for Orient but also sickening for Cheltenham sickening
0: Orient Orient didn't have a shot between, well, they had one shot between the, the um, 24th minute and the 76th minute. So Cheltenham defended incredibly well with 10 men. It kind of feels like had Cheltenham not taken the lead here, this probably would have fizzled out into a nil nil draw. It was almost like going ahead with 10 men. It was like, you know, let's get back and defend this. The the balance of play, the way that both teams played changed off the back of a goal. Like, oh, you know, goals change games, they always do. Yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a massive blow for Daryl Clark. who'll feel like they should have beaten Bristol Rovers last time out and got a point. He'll probably feel like they should have beaten Luton Orient here, even with 10 against 11 for the majority of the game and have come away with nothing. Massive frustration for them. As you say, two deflections um, won't make it any easier to to swallow for him. But they come out of it again with massive credit. Like, I'm so impressed with what Clark has managed to do at Cheltenham in such a short space of time. And Orient, you know their fans will know that they got away with one here massively. You know, they, they were not good in a game where they had a man advantage for the majority of the game and they've come away with, with three points, which is a significant three points, a big three points for them, but they're not going to kid themselves by thinking it was, um, you know, some masterful display. It was, uh, it was a fortunate three points in a game where they were second best.
1: Carlisle thought they were going to get three points having come from behind one nil down against Northampton, then two, one up. Could it have been their fourth win of the season? No. Kieran Bowie equalizing uh right at the death 93rd minute equalizer for a cobbler's point. Uh, apologies to Northampton fans. I didn't touch on the 3-0 win against Fleetwood last week. Uh, it's my second significant running order error. Over the last month, there w- there has been and will continue to be an internal review and investigation as to uh, whether I've nearly completed it, whether I am fit and proper to uh, produce this podcast in the future. Uh, I wouldn't be gutted to have that taken out of my hands if there are any uh, producers listening. Um, but uh, I shouldn't f- ignore three no wins and whether or not it was just an honest mistake or part of a huge anti-cobbler agenda. Uh, I will let you decide. Um, but yes, I have a lot of respect for John Brady's North ta- Northampton Town FC, indeed for Cobblers in general. And I was sad not to talk about your uh, resounding win against the Cod Army. Uh, Carlisle have made the first big signing of the window. And we're getting pretty into the January transfer window over on NTT20.com. So uh, Luke Armstrong signing from Harrogate for Carlisle. Their new owners flexing their muscles, as they promised to do, uh, and bringing in a striker, which is what the fans wanted because Carlisle have really struggled for goals for most of this calendar year, to be honest, and for uh, goal scoring number nines in particular. So Armstrong famously had a, a big move to Wrexham on deadline day that that fell through due to paperwork shenanigans. Um So he hasn't really played that much this season. Harrogate fans aren't that gutted to to see him go either because he went on strike a little bit around that time and and he has played bits and bobs since then for them. um, But he hasn't been that talisman that he was for the last two seasons. Uh, I like the signing for Carlisle for profile purposes. Uh, His physical attributes are are remarkable. Certainly a League Two level, they have been. His work rate as well, a really physical number nine uh, who deals with a lot of target man type stuff. He's also made... 45 and then 46 starts in the last two seasons. So he's only failed to start one game before this campaign, which I think suggests a bloke with some remarkable sort of physical minerals to be able to do that. He should be fresh and ready to go, having not played a huge amount this season. Does he guarantee goals? No, he doesn't. Armstrong has scored... Uh, 0.28 non-penalty goals per 90 in the last couple of years for a Harrogate side that score a lot more goals in League 2 than this Carlisle team score in League 1. He's not the kind of guy that's going to make something out of nothing. Um, I still think it's a good fit in terms of profile, and I still think he can improve the level of the team if there are some other players around him that offer goal threat and can work off a big target man. Luke Armstrong, Carlisle, yes. Uh, Lincoln drew one with Reading. The Royals... I'd say, with a performance that maybe deserved all three. They responded really well after an early own goal from Nelson Abbey, did get back level through nibs, had two goals disallowed, and just generally played quite well. In League Two. Wow. George, the top four all won, but not all of them won 8-0. Stockport v Sutton was top versus bottom. Somehow Sutton, the bottom club, were unbeaten in five, and Stockport, the top club, was six without a win in all comps, but it was 8-0. No. And they hit the bar twice.
0: <laughs> yeah. albeit one of those. I, I was going to use the whole hit the bar twice. Could have been 10 thing. where they, they got a penalty about two minutes toward 10 seconds after hitting the, ball, hitting the bar the second time. Um, yeah. Matt Gray's interview after the game, Sutton manager kind of told you everything you needed to know where he said they'd been a manager for five years. It was the worst result in his five years of management, his first performance of five years of management, he was like, I've never apologised to a set of fans after a game before, but I apologise for that and understandably so because it was woeful from Sutton. But not to take anything away from, from Stockport, who, of course, were excellent. You know, they were 2-0 up after 12 minutes through uh, Crowsdale and, and Wootten. Crowsdale got a, set, a third his second and their third shortly after Paddy Madden got a fourth after 23 minutes. They were 4-0 up and, um, you know, and this is what Stockport do when they're at their best. It was just consistent, high quality chance creation. That's what we got used to seeing in that incredible run of victories where they're not the most mm-hmm. shot happy side. You know, often in these games where they dominate, it's not a case of, of loads of shots, but it's the quality of those. You know, in and around the six-yard box consistently, a load of different threats. You know, when you look at the goal scorers, uh, a couple of which are off the bench from Oafay and, and Cottrell, I had Two from Crowsdale midfield, two from Madden, oh, sorry, a hat-trick from Madden, Wutton. Like it was just, I and mean, when you consider the barrier isn't even there, like they're, they're just a, a brilliant side. And I think, you know, you, you mentioned a second ago, it felt to me like Sutton was starting to right the wrongs from earlier this season. But you, you just look at the first goal and how easy it is from a set-piece for, for Stockport and Crowsdale to score. Like that's just not the Sutton that we've become accustomed to over the last couple of seasons. We've always been so good in both boxes. So it's going to be, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if this is almost the moment where Sutton's season turns, where this has to be rock bottom now, and Gray has to find a way to try and pick this side up and find a means by which they're not just drawing games one-all, as was the case before this game, how they can win games and get themselves out of this mess. But for Stockport, if anyone was hoping that the wheels were coming off after the Barry injury, this result and performance shows that... um, You know, it's it's unlikely that we're going to get the slip-up that's probably needed to stop stop Port from running away with it at the
1: top end. And it's only four days after Dave Challoner said, I've managed for 14 years and I can count on one hand the amount of times I've been embarrassed by my side. Tonight was one of them. I get frustrated, but I've never been this angry. That was after they'd lost at home to Oldershot in the FA Cup replay. But I think we talked about this on the Six Fix, this game and those quotes. I think Chaloner, he he has managed to create through his own success and his own good management an absolutely like unshakable aura where when he says stuff like that, I'm sure that his team will respond well. Whereas when like 80% of EFL managers say things that are that strong after a defeat and they haven't got the same credit in the bank, I, I kind of wince because I think that there's a chance that you know, a modern dressing room might not respond that well to to strong words like that. So uh, it's it's kind of interesting that, that that was followed up with an 8-0 win. I mean, of course, they, they took their chances so well. I think they had 10 or 11 shots on target and, and scored eight goals. Uh, some really good finishing, some great headers from crosses in particular. I mean, they, they're missing a lot of players at the moment, Stockport, but it, it's still some squad. Let's be honest there. Being able, you know... <laughs> There's two ways of looking at it. It's obviously horrible and fair to bring up the fact that they're they're a bit light in terms of uh, first teamers being out. But being able to miss 10 first teamers and still have that starting 11 with Hinchliffe, Pie Horseful Burn. Uh, Noyle and Toure, the wing backs, Camps, Crowsdale and Odin, Bailey in midfield, and Wooten and Madden up top. I mean, it's uh, it's a bit of a privilege and, and certainly not one that Matt Gray has, whose certain team have been missing players uh, almost all season, which have made him play some pretty funky starting elevens with a lot of players out of position and Desperately struggling, um, but I agree with you. I think there's a. I don't. I, I saw a lot of people responding to this by saying they're obviously doomed because you can't be losing eight 0 I. I don't think you have to be that extreme at this point of the season. It's only six points to safety. Um, I still cling on to some belief that they could put together a, a, a decent run. Um, now the last four National League champions are first, second, third, and last in League Two. Uh, Sutton being last, uh, but the top three are Stockport, Barrow and Wrexham. Uh, shout out to DC for the stat on NTT 20 squad. He's a very happy Barrow fan, George. They beat Swindon 3-0 in Swindon. It's six wins in a row. It's seven in their last eight. This is astoundingly good form from Barrow. And it was
0: the kind of <clears throat> Pete Wild blueprint they were used to, where they came up against the Swindon side who have been even at their worst, which is what they are at the moment in this really poor run of form, but they still score a lot of goals. And they just restricted them to basically nothing. Like we saw Kemp had a couple from range. Austin went very close with a header, but I think they only had, was it six shots in the game, Swindon? And Barrow themselves didn't create loads, but created better opportunities and were clinical in taking them. Um, they reduced games down to, you know, there's, there are some managers and teams where you look at their games and they they create chaos because they seem to thrive within the the kind of chaotic environments that those games produce with Barrow it's the opposite where Pete Wildside just managed to consistently prevent the opposition from creating decent chances and have full confidence in themselves to be able to take theirs but when it comes and it's it's working an absolute treat now right now they sit uh, second in the league table, which is an, an incredible achievement from Wild. And, um, you know, I, I was sitting here. Well, I've, I've been saying basically for most of the season that it looked pretty obvious there was a, a big four in in, in League 2. Um, Notts County's recent form has fallen off a cliff. It's really, really sliding. Um, to what extent we'll see. Like, I'm now wondering, are they even a lock for the, for the top seven? Possibly not. But Barrow have been a team who've come from the back and proven themselves. They have to be taken seriously. As, as automatic promotion contenders and, um, and I think Saturday's result performance was just the latest bit of evidence we've got to support that
1: yeah I've got a couple of really standout aspects to them Barrow I mean Wilde has been considered for maybe 18 months two years now to be one of the best coaches and tacticians in league two and you know when you say a X team is the best coached in the league it's always quite difficult to really back that up because there are 24 teams 24 managers there's a lot of different ways to coach a football team but one of the ways to measure it is defensive record defensive shape Um, I'm certainly someone that believes that a team's defensive record is probably more a reflection of their uh, managers well part of their managers coaching ability than their um, goal scoring record I'm a believer that defensive records is much more about organization and the unit rather than individual quality um, whereas attacking play is is more more leans on um, individual quality. So I think it's a good way to give Pete Wilde his flowers to basically bring up the fact that Barrow have the best zeros and ones record in league two. they've only conceded, two or more, three times. In fact, they've they, they've never conceded more than two this season. So they've conceded two goals in three of their games and the rest zero and one. Now that's the best record in League Two. That's what keeps them in so many games. They're so good at possession. Um, they're so good at pressing when they decide to. Um, there've been a few games recently where Farman has been excellent in goal. Um, but also plenty of games like this where they just completely shut the opposition down. So uh, the other thing that stands out is they got a really good record towards the end of games. Uh, in the last 15 minutes of matches, they have an aggregate score of 12-1 uh, this season. So basically... In a sense, it's like half a goal a game that they get in the last 15 minutes of games across their matches this season, which is pretty incredible as well. They they are on a pretty nice hot streak in terms of finishing, uh, something to at least be aware of while recognising their excellent form. I think it's 13 of their last 23 shots on target have gone in. That's a pretty uh, high rate. And if you use XG, it's 15 goals from eight and a half expected over their last eight games. Uh, And on the other end, Somehow, two goals conceded from around ten or eleven expected. Um, now, a lot of that xG against generated came in games against Bradford, Forest Green, and Colchester, games that they were, uh, you know, already ahead in, in in a lot of instances. And there have also, as I mentioned, like this game, plenty where they've just shut the opposition down. Swindon, eight defeats in their last thirteen. Saw them live last weekend, and this result against Barry did not surprise me one bit. I, th- I see them right now as a team who quite frankly are just quite soft and who don't really stand up for themselves uh, out of possession you know Barrows goals uh, at least two of them coming from set pieces the other one from across a to the back post as well is a good reflection of that um, but also seem to have lost a lot of confidence in their um, build up and their possession play as well so I'm pretty concerned about that club uh, on the pitch and also it's been a bit of a weird time off it as well for Swindon recently uh, George's Wrexham beat Colu 2-1 they are rolling Wrexham what happened in this one?
0: They went ahead early <clears throat> through Elliot Lee, um, who had a couple of bites at the Cherry before uh, prodding it home. And it felt, having scored early, it felt like with Colchester having conceded the most goals in the league this season, it was going to be a, um, a long day for them. But George Evans was sent off for a very nasty foul. It couldn't have been more underneath the referee's nose. I think if you drew a line down from the referee's nose to the pitch, it would have landed on about where the... Uh, offense took place so he was never going to get away with that um so yeah rexham down to 10 after 25 minutes uh colchester were okay um and would have felt frustrated when Zach mitchell diverted into his own net after a cross from james mclean from the left-hand side uh, for a bit of a comedy own goal Jaden February made it um got a consultation goal for colchester late on um frustration, I think, from Colchester that despite having the man advantage for the majority of the game, they weren't able to um, get something from it, albeit they were pretty good and they created OK chances. Rexham will just be relieved that given the, the circumstances around the game, they were able to get the three points uh, over the line. And McLean also very nearly scored a really nice volley, which whistled past the post. Um, but yeah, Rexham with there. An important three points, not necessarily the, the kind of home performance we're used to seeing from them. But after the sending off, I think they can be delighted that they got what they needed from the game and just move
1: on. When I was watching the highlights of League 2, I, I had this weird sense that there were quite like teams towards the top of the league that we just hadn't talked about much recently. And I was trying to work out why. And then I realised that like Mansfield, Wrexham, for example, hadn't played a league game uh since the 28th of november that was midweek fixture anyway they hadn't played a league game on a saturday since the 25th of november because of uh both fa cup and postponement so uh, that's why it feels like we haven't spoken about these teams for a while uh, and it, it made me wonder whether mansfield were maybe on quite bad form because i couldn't, couldn't remember saying anything positive about them recently uh, but not really uh, it was a defeat at swindon and then a draw at home to mansfield but as blips go, not a particularly big one. Back to winning ways at Crawley. Um, good crossing and good finishing was the order of the day for them. Aries Oates uh, did a really nice piece of play down the right wing to cross for Bailey Cargill to put them ahead. Uh, then, possibly one of my favourite penalty awards of the season so far uh, for Crawley's equaliser because Mansfield had a, a set piece like just inside Crawley's half and right out on the wing, like quite kind of near the dugouts. Um, they sent everyone up, so there were a lot of people in, in the box, just inside the box, but they played it short, so they, they weren't even crossing it in, or at least they were going to work it a little bit before they did. But as soon as they played it short and he tapped it to his mate, the ref saw Akins just pull Campbell back, who'd made a little run off him. And just straight up pointed to the spot. So you had this kind of bizarre situation where the ball was back on almost on halfway. (laughs) Like more than half the players were inside Mansfield's box. And the ref's just, he's seen it. Ball's just about in play. He's given a pen. It looked absolutely insane. But I think it was really good refereeing. It was a foul. It was a pull. And it was a a goal for Crawley. Um, But Mansfield dusted themselves down pulled their socks up and other cliches and got back in front. Uh, great cross from Quinn, cross from Quinn uh, for Dunn to score and George Maris slotted in the third. So it, it felt very Mansfield uh, this season. They are a very, very good team and they've won now, what is it? Six of their last eight. Um, so very much up there on merit.
0: What did you make of the, uh, with Jay Williams sending off? A bit Diego Dalloway.
1: Yeah, it was a bit. He was very upset.
0: Although actually, I couldn't... I think it was because basically, for those who hadn't seen... Who hasn't seen this? Uh, I think it was one yellow card for the foul, then another yellow card for
1: screaming in the fouled player's face. Yeah. From what I could tell. Is that a yellow, shouting fun. in someone's face? I can, It's definitely something I could see you doing. Well, yeah. But obviously, screaming in the ref's face, sure, yellow. But why should I be booked for screaming in your face? Like, is that maybe a... It depends on what you say. Uh, it's probably um, unsportsmanlike conduct. I did enjoy Aidan Flint
0: really giving him some abuses after he was sent off as well.
1: Maybe he should have been booked. Um, yeah, screaming <laughs> <giving> his face. <laughs> that could go on indefinitely, couldn't it, if he just started booking? It's, I
0: mean, it's quite a lively game for this ref who gave a penalty for a tug when the ball was 30 yards away and then gave
1: a double yellow for
0: a foul and then shouting the
1: face. I think it's my new favourite referee in the EFL. Uh, Scott Simpson. Good on you, son. Nah, it doesn't feel right calling a ref son. I don't know why I did that. hate it. Um, <laughs> um, t- speaking of which, did you see... After um George Evans' is red for Wrexham, him and Matt J had a real Yeah sort of good that. M- loads of Matt Jay's hair is very shiny. It is shiny, isn't it? He's he is he's using some good shampoo and conditioner and possibly I don't know, is there a third hair hair lotion these days? Scott Simpson yeah. is a lively one.
0: Is he? Wow. Just looking is his uh he's already given two reds in two games a season. Yep. Yeah.
1: Probably correct. Salford
0: and Notts County um, sent off Burko and Namain. Must have been a a fight. I can't remember that at all. Mm -hmm. And then Cheltenham Oxford sent off Rob Street and Ruben Rodriguez. Fair enough. Uh, One for an elbow, one one for some. Was that some dissent as well, was it? No, it was when. The first was dissent and the second was. Loves booking people for dissent. Yeah. Uh, The second was the kind of weird. It was like a
1: pushy, foully.
0: shirt tug thing was
1: a strange one but wow I support Scott Simpson now and I'm looking forward to his next game Uh, Doncaster 0 Morecam 5 what what the hell Um, this is a bit of fun and fair play Jed Brannan who's the Morecambe manager because a lot of people questioned his appointment uh, after his one caretaker game saw them get absolutely pumped by Wrexham Um, but he's almost cancelled that defeat out with a 5-0 win at Doncaster what a day for Morecambe this I think slightly under the radar, uh, Morecambe is the fact that Morecambe have the second youngest team in League Two after Colchester United. Uh, In particular, their attackers are all 20 or younger. That's Mellon up front. Um, 20-year-old Bernie Loney, who scored two here. Only six players in the whole EFL have scored more league goals than Michael Mellon this season. Uh, It's Tom Bloxham off the right. He's been a really good direct runner and, and creator for them this season. JJ McKeonan, who, who either plays centre mid or, or number 10, as he did here. And also Adam Mayer, who I wrote about in uh, the League Two Targets piece that I wrote on NTT20.com, who's a 19 year old left sider. Um, they played with great confidence here. Their fourth goal in particular was absolutely beautiful. Probably my favourite goal of the weekend, actually. Um, there was a couple of give and goes. Gives and goes. Gives and go. A couple of give and goes. Um, a really nice dummy as well in there and then laid off to Tutonda who I mean he put his foot through it he absolutely leathered it in off the bar and I loved everything about it Um, just playing with so much confidence which is really really excellent to see uh, and a big big win as for Donny I just find them very meek Doncaster they're quite to me they're a team that's like they don't give off great energy they don't give off particularly good vibes their first half record is terrible. They've only scored eight first half goals total this season. Uh their half time, you know, they've they've been behind nine times, they've been level eight times and they've only been ahead four times at half time. They've got to sort that out um if they're going to be a, a serious team at this level, Doncaster. But up the shrimps. That was an absolutely incredible display. I think they would have been dancing on the streets of shrimps of Suriname. That's for sure. Uh, and you could probably say the same for Harrogate, George should beat knots. Uh, 3-1, um, performances from Harrogate in the last month have been much better. And it feels quite nice to be able to say that because we struggled to say nice things about them up until that point. But in this game and in a couple of their others recently, uh, much, much better. And uh, certainly in this one, uh, a deserved victory.
0: Yeah, 100% for a long time, Harrogate were the team, you know, we spoke about it with Shrewsbury earlier, the team in League Two that I couldn't understand how they were picking up as many points as they were. Um, the performances were not tallying with what they would do with, with the, the points tally. But now, yeah, as you say, over the last three or four weeks, they're consistently putting in really good performances and they, they deserve to beat Notts County here. Um, took their chance as well. Odo getting a, a nice second that he could be started the move and got ahead and um, showed real pace and tenacity to, to get there after the keeper spilled it. Notts County have had some keeper issues this season, whether it's been Slocum or in goal. Like, I feel like every week we're seeing... Some sloppy handling or shot stopping, preventing them from um, or you know giving oppos- opposition opportunities to score from. Um, but this is, yeah, I think Harrogate have, have turned a corner now in terms of the, of where they are, and I, I'm definitely not as concerned for them as I was previously. For Notts County, I definitely am concerned. Like the their performance level seems to have really dipped, and I can't really work out why. You know, there was there was obvious concern when Bostock was out for a while; it didn't really seem to impact their performances too much. But we're still seeing now, you know. Langstaff leading the line, Jones off the left, Crowley in behind, Bostock in midfield. Like the, the personnel hasn't really changed, but the performances have massively shifted. Maybe teams have worked them out a bit. Um, you know Their defensive shape has never been their strong point, but they seem to have lost a little bit in terms of their attacking output. So um, Luke Williams has a bit of a job on his hands now to stop the rock, steady the ship and make sure that they don't slide even
1: further away from the top three. It's one of these where I, I always like to look at the the touch maps uh, after the game across the EFL, look for interesting quirks like winger swapping sides, fullback swapping sides as we've had earlier in the pod. Uh, in this instance, it was one of the clearest because you, you know you shouldn't read always too much into the, the touch maps, but this was one of the clearest where the uh, tactics from Simon Weaver was so obvious because both the fullbacks and the wide players on both sides of the pitch, had almost all of their touches right on the touchline, and he just said, "Stretch the play, get Odo on the ball, uh, among others, and let's stretch knots." Who you know they play that three-four-two-one formation, so there's not a lot of wide defensive players. The ones that they do have, Jones and I guess it was maybe the main. I don't know who played right wing back they're not natural defenders anyway so it was a clear clear way of targeting uh, what he perceived to be a weakness in, in Notts' team and certainly the first two goals came uh, down the sides initially as well that was how they were able to build into the final third so uh, really good stuff from Harrogate and good stuff from uh, Simon Weaver as well. Uh, Bradford beat Jills 2-0. feels like them and Notts County have have like gone in real different directions since we saw knots absolutely blitz them live on Sky about three weeks ago. Because George, it's three straight for Graham Alexander, which is some start to life in charge of Bradford after that uh, after that defeat against Knots in his first game. Yeah, a really impressive start um,
0: between. You no, know, this was a game between two managers who've been appointed fairly recently: Stephen Clements for Gilliam, uh, Graham Alexander for for Bradford. And Bradford were <coughs> the better team for the most part. Um, Gilliam had more of the ball, but Bradford created the better chances. Walker with a really nicely taken goal after half an hour, and then Andy Cook just smashing in. He made that free kick so easy. You watch that and you're like, why don't more strikers just get their head down and just smash the ball through the wall into the bottom corner? Um, yeah, concern for Gillingham. It wasn't a great performance from them. You know, at home, you'd expect your side to create a little bit more, um, especially having had a bit of the ball. But I do think this was a, a difficult game against the Bradford side who, you know, the, the squad and the players at their disposal are far, far better than what we've seen so far this season. Um, Capitalised well on uh, some sloppy passing out the back from, from Gillian for the first goal. And and I think we're now seeing that Bradford are a side, um are, are certainly taking to what Graham Alexander is um, is trying to implement there, which is, uh, you know, a, a benefit for them because it was such a, a poor start to the season. So um, where can they go? We'll have to see. You know, it feels like a congested uh, little group of sides um, just out of the the top seven at the moment Gillingham are one of those Um, but if I had to say right now who I thought were more likely to finish within that top seven group it would go the way of the the game on Saturday with, with Bradford certainly looking the more impressive at the moment
1: Doncaster That's where they're going on Friday night of all nights. uh, MK beat Forest Green 2-0. Super sharp take from Max Dean to put them ahead after a a bit of pressure. Just really, really good penalty box instincts. Makes me very excited about uh, Dean, who, of course, was such a breath of fresh air when we had him on the pod a couple of weeks ago as well. Um, But also the other youngster worth mentioning for MK is Tomlinson, the right wing back. Uh, He's only 23, Uh, he was at Posh for a couple of years and went out on loan a few times, never really nailed down a a starting place at Peterborough United, but already looks like a great signing for Peterborough and is clearly having the time of his life under Mike Williamson because, you know, with the extent to which they hold the ball and build possession, if you're a right wing-back, You are about as attacking a a wide player as you can possibly be. And he's got three goals and three assists in six games under Mike Williamson. If there was a League Two fantasy football, uh, Joe Tomlinson would be probably one of the most valuable defenders. Um, Confident on the ball, as you can see from his assists here. um, And also effective with his decision making as well, which is a serious skill at this level. I also beat Tramir 1-0. And I just really enjoyed Donovan Daniels going going all Virgil van Dyke and just carrying it forward and putting an absolute ping over the top uh, for Jamil Matt to run on and finish. I'm going to be honest, I didn't know Donovan Daniels had a perfect ping over the top in him, and I didn't think that Jamil Matt still had the legs to be galloping in behind, holding off a defender and finishing in him. So that was a pleasant surprise for me. Uh, and I kind of feel like the Sadler's roller coaster just continues, like just when you think... They might be quite bad, they're on a really bad run, just when seemingly a lot of fans decide that they're done with this manager, just like all the last ones. Then they just nudge two wins in a row out and just calm things down a little bit. Walsall um, 1-1, Tranmere and George, how about crew? The entertainers, possibly in the whole EFL. A 3 all draw with Accrington, in which Elliot Nevitt equalised in the 98th minute uh, with 10 men having thrown away a 2-1 lead and conceded in the 87th and the 96th, it's Nevit's third injury-time goal of the season. It's Crew's fifth injury-time goal that's won them points, and there have been a few others that haven't directly, you know, maybe the fourth in a 4-2 or something. They've also had an 85th-minute equaliser. They've also conceded an injury-time equaliser. I mean, never leave Crew games, ever. <laughs> just Might as well just stay yeah, there all but week. But also... It looked like everyone had. Sadly, oh no. Um, I mean, you can understand
0: why if you're a crew fan. You are two one up, with three minutes to go, with ten men, and you concede in the eighty seventh minute, and then you concede in the ninety sixth minute. You're probably going to think, "Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get back to my, uh, to my tea now." I think, um, but just a minute after the restart, Nevitt with a really nicely taken finish, and also, I mean, just feel sorry for Accrington fans who had celebrated wildly when they scored what they thought was the winner and on the Accrington bench as well. But yeah, never with a really nice take finish, a, a brilliant game between two sides who are having such good seasons this season, it's worth, it's worth saying. The um, crew have been uh, at home. Uh, their home form has been so impressive. This is another game where if you look at the underlying numbers, you know, Accrington far clear in terms of the actual quality of chance created but there's clearly like an intangible never say die attitude to crew um where their their capacity to score late goals when it's so consistent can't be a fluke they're a team who have an amazing not even late on in games have an amazing ability to come back from behind at any time in a game as well so um yeah huge credit to them for for being able to do so um you know and, and they'll be despite it's not often that when you're ahead in a game with five minutes to go, you'd be delighted with the point. But in this occasion, that's definitely the case.
1: Newport and Grimsby drew 1-1 Omar Bogle's goal cancelled out by Danny Rose. Another one of my favourite weekend assists was provided by Gavin Holohan for that Grimsby equaliser. And only 1-0-0 in the whole EFL this week. And funnily enough, it involved a guy that I called last week the most important name in the EFL January transfer window, Ali Alhamadi, Missing two to three one-on-ones for Wimbledon. Uh, A good performance from them, but only a nil draw at Salford. Uh, What fun, guys. Thank you so much for listening this week to the NTT20 pod. Uh, It's a busy, busy period over the next few weeks. We are going to be doing our best to continue with our mission statement, which is to cover the EFL uh, as best as we can and provide the best coverage uh, for you guys. So that is both on this podcast, where we will have pods on Wednesday the 27th and Tuesday the 2nd, breaking down festive action. Uh, we'll have a betting show or two in there as well. Uh, and on ntt20.com, we got plenty for you as well, including the first episode of our new ntt20.com podcast, Dear Ali and George. Uh, that'll be out later this week. And it'd be great if you wanted to become a paid subscriber so that you could enjoy it. Uh, thanks for listening. Thank you to Betfair. Thanks, George. Go out. Well.